Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman. Welcome to Halcyon Education's podcast, episode 7. Today's podcast forms part one of a two-part podcast, which is an interview with a young person called Millie, who talks about mental health and anxiety, but particularly in the context of autism. She talks about the difficulties of the often and possibly typical late diagnosis of autism in females, and she provides some amazing strategies and signs to look out for in school. First, a quick word from our sponsors. At Jigsaw PSHE, we believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance. Jigsaw, the mindful approach to PSHE, leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed, well-structured and developmental less-than-a-week learning experience in PSHE from ages 3 to 16. Detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed, along with free updates and ongoing support, make Jigsaw an invaluable, relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers for teachers. A mindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast. Welcome to our um, mental health podcast for mental health leads in schools. Today's interview is with an exceptionally resilient young woman who has had a recent diagnosis of autism spectrum condition following 10 years of mental health difficulties. She has a passion for dance and drama, is a fabulous nursery assistant, attends college, and I'm really thrilled that she's willing to share her story. So I want to introduce to you Millie. Thank you, Anna. You're welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you for being willing to put yourself out and and share for the benefit of the schools. I think it's really important that schools get an understanding of what autism really looks like. So I'm glad to have the opportunity. Brilliant. Well, I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind um, telling us about your recent diagnosis. Yeah, so I was diagnosed a few months ago. Um, I was diagnosed by the family psychologists. my referral actually took significantly less time than most people's. I was referred within two months, uh, and I was referred by the GP surgery. Uh, I went through the assessment process and was uh, ultimately diagnosed with ASC. And how did that feel? What did you think? It was a massive relief, um, not just for me, but also for my family, to finally understand kind of what what's happened over the past few years particularly Mm. uh and as an explanation as to why i'm i've always felt different to everybody else and why i'm so sensitive to certain things that other people aren't uh and i find certain things difficult that other people don't Mm. so it's almost like a a relief as you say and yeah gave a bit more clarity to things that had been happening sort of almost feels like to you or yeah massively yeah I think um, I think everything that happened it it was very confusing. Mm. Not just because I didn't understand it, but also because 
it just didn't make any sense because all of the labels they were giving me weren't appropriate and I could see they weren't appropriate Mm. but couldn't work out why. Mm. Uh, And when I finally got uh, the autism diagnosis, um, everything just seemed to click. Wow, that's really interesting. I find it really interesting that you, on some level, you you knew that the diagnoses that you were being given just didn't fit with... Yeah. With you, but when you had the one around ASC, it seemed. What was the difference, you think? Um, to be fair, I have done a lot of research into any diagnosis that I get, okay. so I won't take it on face value because I think that's uh, certainly for me. I uh, I just think that's a bit mm. almost silly because you don't understand what what somebody's saying you have and uh, if you understand it you can then look into appropriate treatment yeah so I did a lot of research onto anything they diagnosed me with and it always seemed to fit maybe some of the symptoms Mm. but not all of them Mm. so um, for example when I got um, an anxiety diagnosis yes it explained the anxiety but it never explained the the low mood or the sensory sensitivities and even when that was explained by a different diagnosis they still missed out particularly the sensory difficulties was never explained by any of my diagnoses mm. do you think in a way being able to sort of look into things yourself and it gives you a bit more of that sense of control so when you do feel out of control when you don't quite know what's happening and it's happening to you that being able to you know kind of research these things that help you yes definitely but I think I also found it to be quite a special interest I've always been very interested in psychology and special interests are a big symptom of ASC um yeah so um found that psychology has been a special interest for me for quite a long time now right um so it was kind of out of interest (laughs) that was quite helpful to you yeah (laughs) and um I'm just wondering how how did you you know we talked about kind of how you felt and what you thought but we know that you because you you shared with me that you know there's been 10 years of mental health difficulties leading up to that I mean it's 10 years that's that's a long time was there is there anything you think perhaps that schools or people around you could could possibly learn or or have picked up earlier I'm just I'm really curious about that yes massively uh so when I was 10 I used to get really really anxious about break times and uh we always had maths before break and at the end of maths or kind of in the middle every single lesson every single day I would put my hand up and say I feel really really sick Mm. I really don't feel well Mm. I'm going to throw up and I remember my teacher coming up to me at the end of um, one of the lessons and saying, uh, Millie, you, you can't say that you, you feel sick because otherwise you won't know when you really are going to be sick. And I felt so angry and frustrated because I really did feel like I was going to throw up. Yeah. Um, and I've, I still feel that that should have been picked up as an anxiety trigger. Um, mm. It should have been recognised because if somebody's feeling sick every day it should be recognised either as a physical condition or a mental condition and looked into why that's happening and do you remember at the time whether it was looked into or not as far as I know it never was no. it was just kind of brushed off and ignored mm. um, and schools do have a lot of work to do and it's really hard to and particularly if you don't understand the um, anxiety, particularly in young people, it can be really hard to recognise, but I wish it had been recognised and picked up. Mm. So just 
particularly recognising early signs and symptoms, I think, is really important. So that would mean the school would have needed training, so the teacher, your class teacher, would have had some training on um, spotting the signs of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, so nothing too difficult. You think something like that would have picked up the fact that there's a student saying regularly, you know, I've got a tummy ache, I feel sick at the same time of day yeah or I've got a headache you know those kind of you know exactly yeah I think understanding basic symptoms of mental health is absolutely key for any school to be able to support any students with mental health schools are in the best position to be able to support anybody with mental health difficulties Mm. because you see them every day Mm. and if you don't understand them your students aren't either yeah so you have to make the effort to make sure that you understand what's going on and you can recognise it and talk to your student if they're really struggling. Mm. Particularly autism in females, it's so misunderstood yeah. and misdiagnosed. Um, if schools are aware of what it actually looks like, yeah. they're able to pick it up a lot quicker, which just makes a massive difference to your quality of life as you get older. Mm. You're absolutely right. And I think not just training around mental health, but as you quite rightly said, the training around autism and yeah. noticing... Um, and we know there's a link so we know sort of anxiety disorders are very common um, for people on the autistic spectrum or with ASC in fact 40% have symptoms at yeah. least of one anxiety disorder compared to 15% of the general population so there's quite a strong correlation isn't there yeah massively yeah. I think uh, lots of people with autism can be diagnosed with mental health conditions and often misdiagnosed with mental health conditions because of that autism that mm. I think the main thing that schools need to do is look at the underlying cause of what's actually causing the anxiety or the low mood yeah but it sounds like that the school at the time didn't even recognize it as an anxiety at all. exactly yeah and how long did you go how long did you feel sick for was it months or? it was months yeah okay. and did it did it escalate or did it get picked up somehow or what what happened I can't really remember because it was quite a long time ago. Mm. I mean, this was, well, about 10 years ago now, really. Yeah. I remember, I've, I think I eventually just stopped saying anything because although I carried on feeling really ill, I just felt like I wasn't going to be taken seriously. Yeah. So then felt too anxious to say anything. Right. But it never stopped and it did continue to escalate as it as it carried on. Mm. And I think they did start to recognise that I had issues when I was in year six because when we had sats mm. i i couldn't deal with being in the main hall with everybody during it right. so they did put me in a separate room mm. um to help me manage that but nothing was ever particularly done about it yeah even though they might have recognized it more mm. that's interesting yeah and how did you then find the transition to secondary what what was that like for you very challenging mm. i found friendships very difficult i always have really And I tend to struggle to maintain friendships. Mm -hmm. I also usually have kind of one friend at a time and I really struggle in groups. Whereas at high school, generally your friendship groups are groups. Yeah. Uh, I used to go and hide in the drama and dance studio because I didn't want to deal with people that were quite anxiety provoking and the level of noise in the cafeteria. I just found it all very overwhelming and very challenging. Um, whereas when I was in the drama studio mm. it was a lot easier to deal with and because at the time that was a special interest anyway I just mm. didn't I didn't care social interaction never bothered me mm. um, and that again really should have been picked up by my school that I was very socially isolated yeah yeah so again how might a mental health lead in a school so or, or a teacher how might they 
spot that because we know that you know moving to secondary it's can be quite isolating and it takes yeah. time for people to to make friendships what what would have made the difference do you think how how might they have noticed I mean the person in charge of the drama department should have picked it up because I did spend all my time in there okay and if it's just for a couple of months maybe it's just the beginning of secondary school you can kind of put it down to just not really wanting to be around people Mm. and maybe just being a little bit anxious but nothing serious but when it gets to two years of Okay. Always being in the drama yeah. studio, you think you might have been noticed. Drama and are going to go and make a career out of it, or you're hiding. Yeah. Okay. So that should have been picked up by by the head of drama, and it should have been picked up by my school tutor as well. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. We find, um, particularly in secondary, that's quite a challenge because you know when you're in primary, you are with the same teacher, so there's yeah. there's that opportunity to notice a change in sort of child's behaviour or you know to to support them. But when you get secondary, it really is the form tutor, isn't it, that yeah. tends to see you for twenty minutes, half an hour a day, yeah, um, regularly to be able to spot that. It but, is but, hard. Yeah, but then I think. I think actually the person who's most likely to spot it is the teacher that you're closest with. Mm. So, um... Was that your form tutor or was that someone else? No, it wasn't at all, really. Um, So I was probably closest to my drama tutor. Okay. Just because I spent so much time in there. I was also quite close to my English teacher. I got on quite well with her. Yeah. She was really nice. I think the biggest problem they had was that there wasn't any change in behaviour because I'd already got... Yes. that point yes. so until year nine there wasn't any change was it that you were managing your anxiety by by managing yourself by going to the drama studio and managing it yourself was it not a challenge for you or yeah was it, so yeah? It, I hate to go into school because it was very anxiety provoking and I did find lessons particularly difficult because I would very happily sit there by myself get on with my work answer questions if the teacher asked them and then leave the classroom whereas everybody else kind of hung out they chatted to each other they discussed things um so particularly group discussions I found really difficult Mm. but um a lot of the time things were quite well managed because there were things like seating plans so while everybody complained about seating plans for me they were great because it meant that I always sat in the same seat and I never had to worry about it that's um, really interesting, yeah. isn't it? Okay. So seating plans for me were genuinely really helpful. Yeah. And I'd often fiddle with my pencil or my pen or a hair bubble that I'd keep on my wrist. I actually used to get told off for having hair bubbles on my wrist because you were meant, weren't meant to have them. But I found it really helpful because it gave me something that I could fidget with. Yeah. And I wasn't very conscious that I was doing it either. Yeah. No, I can imagine. Yeah. But it was kind of, was it like a soothe, a self-soothe? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've now got things that are more helpful so I have a thing called a tangle which is something that's really helpful that I fiddle with that I'm now allowed to take into college right uh and that's that's massively helped me because I find college incredibly challenging and it's meant that I've got something that's almost like a safety blanket yeah without looking like one okay so that's that been really good I've not heard I've not come across that before Oh, okay, so it's like a silver bangle thing that you can twist and turn. and Yeah, well, there's, so they come in lots of different colours. Yeah. They're really good. Um, some have textures and some are smooth. Um, and you can just get them off. Um, they sell them at B&M Bargains now online, and they're only £3. Gosh, that's really is, good. Yeah, yeah, they've reduced massively because they've become 
more popular for the general public rather yeah. than just people with autism, yeah. but was made popular by autistic people. Oh. Yeah. Huh. I'm sure there's many schools shouting right now, thinking, oh, no, fidget spinners, fidget spinners, because that went absolutely yeah. crazy. And in the end, they had to... Uh, so many children ended up having them that they had to stop them all. So it's, yeah. it's quite a challenge, again, for schools to kind of know who's who it's appropriate for and yeah. who, who it's not. I think it's you've got to... Hard. I think you've just got to work it out based on the individual student. I know that for me, actually having a tangle has been a lot better for my teacher because if I don't have a tangle, I will whack my pen on my desk. <laughs> not, <laughs> not consciously, no. but I have to be doing something with my yeah. hands, so I will tap all the time. And it's really annoying for everybody. Yeah. And having the tangle has stopped me doing this and given me something to hold. Okay. If you feel that a tangle is too distracting in a lesson you could use something like a fidget cube Mm. or if you've got a child this is probably better for primary schools rather Mm. than high schools but having a visual timer is fantastic i would that have helped you or yeah did did you have one in primary i didn't have one it would have been really useful yeah because it's just something you can watch when it's useful for every child it's you know it's supportive for everybody yeah. It provides that structure and we know where we stand, we know what's happening. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I liked I liked liquid timers more than sand timers. Yeah. And now a short break to hear from our sponsors. CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMS are chosen by the school so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper. Chronologies for pupils or school-wide reports can be generated quickly. The Service Point support team provide an incredible standard of service and one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information, go to www.cpoms.co.uk where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast. You said you, you'd sort of managed, you'd almost self-managed, hadn't you? Yeah. Without knowing, obviously, with, you know, without any level of consciousness of thinking. Yeah. I'm anxious, I have a mental health difficulty, no. I have ASC. You have self-managed, you know, within, within secondary um, to a point so yeah. you know you got to year nine and things yeah got I just challenging. massively deteriorated I'm not really sure what triggered it I think probably feeling a lot of pressure around sh- feeling like I should have friends yeah I did wonder um, about that when you said other people were you know were mixing and you were it almost it seems to yeah. me almost like you were looking on the outside going well well I don't want to do that and you know yeah and feel, feeling that. really confused because everybody else seemed to really enjoy it and to me it just seemed really pointless mm. what was the point in asking someone how they're doing and just having a really chit chat conversation I'm just not good at it and never have been Right. and I started to make friends but it was so overwhelming and difficult all the time and although mm. I wasn't aware of it looking back I think that was what the problem was mm. that it just became unmanageable mm. uh, so I then moved to a much smaller school where there was 18 in my year group and we were the biggest year by yeah. quite a long way. Yeah. And that move made a massive difference. Okay. Um, in, in your anxiety? So it didn't actually improve my mental health, but mainly because I think that was already at the stage where it was so massively deteriorating that it, yeah. needed, it needed a lot more support than it 
it kind of got that it meant that I could actually manage school, that I was actually going and engaging in lessons, which I just wasn't doing. So that's really interesting. And and it, it feels like sort of you got to year nine and then it sort of escalated really quickly yeah. to the point where, you know, when we think about that mental health continuum and you think about sort of, you know, heading towards that, becoming mentally ill. Yeah. And it seems like quite rapidly and you quite rightly said probably needed more support than a school could give you at that point. Yeah. Well, so I saw the school counsellor in year nine and they were in theory quite helpful, but tried to give me things like breathing techniques and unfortunately the breathing technique made me more anxious because I felt like I couldn't breathe so you have to be really careful how you're wording things if you're trying to introduce something that is related to breathing Mm. in an anxiety approach because you will just convince the student that they can't breathe and then they'll just panic because they can't breathe wow that's fascinating (laughs) because a lot of the the work that I've done in schools you know particularly around the self-soothing and the you know, changing your physiological state when yeah. you're anxious or angry is about that, you know, breath in and yeah. slowing it all down. And yet for for those who, for some who do yeah. have anxiety, that's actually Yeah, that was not probably helpful. the worst thing they could have possibly oh. done. <laughs> so I think what would actually have been useful is using things that potentially are useful usually for autistic people, but actually can be used for any type of mental health condition. Things like... Uh, visual timers and effectively sensory toys I think for me that would have been really really useful and things like having noise cancelling headphones in a school Mm. that students can access if they need it Mm. or a room that they can escape to during break and lunch times Mm. that is a social room but has has things that stop it feeling as social and overwhelming yes Um, I think that would be really useful for any school to have and why did the school decide to send you to send you to <laughs> to access a, a counsellor? Was that uh, was that on your instigation or was that on theirs? Uh, so I started self harming. Okay. So uh, when they we'd had the conversation about it, and they said that I needed to go to the school counsellor. Mm. So that then initiated yeah. the counselling service. Okay. Right. Yeah, the first counsellor wasn't very useful, but the second one I had was fantastic, and she did a lot of work with me more around OCD behaviours yeah. which was actually really helpful I just didn't see a very long because it was the end of year nine yeah so I moved fairly immediately after that right and in your new school did you did you see a counsellor then or no so my new school didn't have a school counsellor because it was technically a private school although it wasn't really mm-hmm. so they and they didn't have very much money so couldn't afford to have an yeah. like in-house counsellor yeah. So I didn't have one, and eventually we got to the point of going to the GP to sort that out. Mm. Uh, but the referral took far too long. I found out recently that I was actually referred to CAMS when I was 14. Right. I'm sure I wasn't seen until I was 16. Really? I had no idea that I was referred when I was 14. I thought I was at least 15 or 16 when I was referred, and I wasn't I was referred when I was 14. How does that feel? Oh, it makes me really cross. Yeah. <laughs> really cross that yeah. they just neglected to put any support in place properly yeah. when they knew how difficult things were yeah yeah so we ended up getting a private counsellor and mm. I'm sure she would have been very useful for other people mm. but for me it was incredibly unhelpful and she just made me feel really angry <laughs> <laughs> do you know when I 
I'm going to share this experience as well. When I was 19, I went to see a therapist too. Yeah. Um, and I remember coming away just really, really angry. Yeah. It was the worst thing that I actually could have done. And yeah. it was through. And um, it's amazing, isn't it? And I just remember I ended up writing to them, I think, in the end, <laughs> on, the, on the suggestion of my parents, just because it was so unhelpful. Yeah. I So I have never walked out of anything in my life. And within five minutes of my second session with her, I walked out and never went back. Um, wow, that takes some guts, huh? Oh yeah, <laughs> I was I was very angry. Were you were you angry? Do you help you to share why why you were angry? Was it was it just not helpful or patronising or what? what uh, some what of the stuff she implied was incredibly unhelpful. Mm. Do you know that's that was my experience? Yeah. Too. Okay, that's really interesting. Okay, and so and then what what happened for you? Did you were you, you were in, still in school? Yeah, and still accessing. And, you, uh, and you've left this sort of counsellor and gone, Yeah, you know what, so, you're not helping me. <laughs> so at that point, I was kind of in and out of hospital. So okay. um, CAMS were very aware of what was happening. Mm. Um, but I was, wasn't was really having any therapeutic support because CAMS was still trying to organise a counsellor for me. Yeah. And I think on my third or fourth admission, they kind of, they'd finally managed to sort out a counsellor and um, they began seeing me. Uh, they were really good, actually. Genuinely, Brilliant. genuinely fantastic. Yeah. I was really blessed to have her, and I honestly think she saved my life. I think wow. she was incredible. Wow, that's amazing. But I, uh, I think it was her rather than Cam's that was really useful, mm. and I was really blessed to have such a fantastic counsellor. Yeah, that's fantastic. Although it sounds like you've had a bumpy ride <laughs> yeah. along the way, and I think that's something to bear in mind. You know when when anyone students or adults are accessing a counsellor or therapy that it isn't um, in my experience having having been in that therapy myself at times you don't always land on the first one and I think that's very difficult when you're perhaps in crisis you've waited for months years even sometimes for a therapy appointment and then find that the therapist is just not suiting you that that's really really difficult isn't it yeah so I found um, the best advice I can give to anybody who is having difficulties with their counsellor is to tell them and tell them to their face because however horrible that might feel and however bad you might feel doing that, it then means that not only do you both have an understanding that it's not working, mm. but also there's a possibility of finding someone else. Yeah, so my yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. My second counsellor, counsellor, we couldn't move... She said there was no point switching counsellors because I only had six months left at CAMS, so Mm. it wouldn't be enough time to switch. Mm. But actually telling her to her face that I didn't like her meant that actually I got a lot more out of the sessions because she knew how I was actually feeling. I felt like I could actually be a lot more honest, which was surprising but really helpful, actually. What, What gave you the kind of, I guess, bravery to sort of just say, you know what, this isn't working for me? Because I found her really annoying. Okay. <laughs> I don't have very much of a filter. <laughs> I love that. Okay. One of the advantages of being autistic <laughs> is that you do just tend to tell people how you feel about them. <laughs> That's fair enough. Thanks to Millie's openness, we have been immersed into a context and profound level of understanding of autism and the links with mental health. Next week, Millie provides more strategies and takeaways for schools that could help all of us maintain good mental health 
As usual, there is a handout which pulls together Millie's advice and strategies and links to other organisations. Go on to the Halcyon Education website under podcasts and episode 7 to download now. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts.